Hello, this is Andrea Whiteley from Perth, Western Australia. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1... How to Talk Like a Pirate Section 1. Preparing Your Voice Try saying this phrase. A vast ye scurvy scum. Doesn't sound right, does it? That's because you need to prepare your voice. The language of pirate is spoken in the back of the throat, here in the thromborax. Speaking pirate also requires use of exaggerated vowel sounds. A, E, I, O, U, R. The original gruffness of pirate speech was caused by years of hard living, salty air, and alcohol abuse. The effect can be approximated by taking a large drink of rum just prior to speech. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will. Good planets are hard to find. Good planets. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. On Facebook and Instagram at the Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the main. It's that time of year, folks, because in just three days, it's National Talk Like a Pirate Day. And in honor of that, it has nothing to do with our show today, (laughs) nothing at all, but you have to honor it it when it comes around because it only comes once a year, and Peggy and I are huge fans of Talk Like a Pirate Day because we used to work at Pirate Radio. So um, you're going to hear a little bit uh, of that today simply because uh, we are coming up uh, on National Talk Like a Pirate Day. This is not normal. I know, Mr. Obama, it isn't. Uh, So uh, welcome to the show. And oh my goodness, if you're watching us on Facebook Live um, we have a ton of guests here in the studio. You can't even see some of them. We have so many people here. Um, in fact, and they're on the floor. They're on the chairs. Right, they're standing. Gotta, okay, you, they're everywhere. You, they're talk amongst yourself. Can we get a, a, a shot of a chicken? We have a chicken here. We have, we two, have two, two chickens. chickens in the studio. And point it and then lift it towards that camera. Let's see if we can get there. And who and who is that That's, in that crate there? This is little. That, that oh, is that's, little, thief. that's little thief, that's and little, little thief. Little thief mm. has her own 
Instagram account. How cool is okay? that? A chicken with an Instagram account. And I and I put that on my website, MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Uh-oh. And we're, oh, and look at this. And, whoa. There's a flap happening. Oh, my goodness. We have, and who's, and who is that? This is Suzanne. Clara. Clara That's Clara. Clark. All right, I'm going to bring this down a little bit. This is Clara what? Clara Cluck. Clara Cluck. <laughs> that deserves a ding. She's a, Look at she's a Clara Cluck. Oh, that is, uh, how long have you had Clara? Oh, by the way, let's introduce our guests too, because we've, we're introducing the chickens, but we haven't introduced any of the people here <laughs> yeah. in the studio. Uh, and we're going to have a long conversation today about raising chickens in the city. Ooh. So if you've ever thought about doing that, no matter where you are in the country, we think we can help you. In fact, you should call us at 877-711-5611-877-711-5611. If you've got a question for our chicken experts here in the studio, uh, let's, let's, Martha, let's start with you. I didn't even think you were going to be in the studio. I know. Uh, Martha Boyd from Angelic Organics Learning Center, and she is sort of the manager of Chicago Chicken Enthusiasts. And I noticed that you called them chai chick ends is is the 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 shortened version. Yes. Um, and then I came up with another version of the chai chick endsers. Um, so people who are <laughs> enthusiastic about the enthusiasts. So uh, uh, Martha Boyd is here in the studio, and um, Suzanne Plunkett is here. Now you're gonna have to lean into the mic a little bit. And you're and again, what's the chicken's name? I'm sorry. This is Clara Cluck. Clara Cluck holding Clara Cluck. That's Suzanne. And Suzanne and I go back, way back to oh my gosh, uh, we don't we're not going to mention uh, Aught, ye- something. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the to be the dawn of time. We used to work in theater together, and she took my headshots actually <laughs> for a while. So it's it's just it's, I'll tell you stories about yeah. me, me and headshots. I have one guy who took my headshots. And then I never looked at the proofs. I never got back to him. Uh-oh. I never did any. I mean, I paid Uh-oh. him, but I didn't look at the proofs. I was like, I just couldn't deal with it. <laughs> I, I mean, this is how crazy actors are. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy making getting your picture taken. Yeah, and next to you real quick is? Uh, I'm Rachel. Rachel, you got to talk right into the microphone. Rachel Allard. And, and Martin. Martin. And they're also chicken raisers, and and you have this is little thief, yeah, yeah, little thief. You're the and we have from the start band here too, and they're going to lead us in to the next segment. So get ready for music. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, chickens and all. We'll be right back. One of McHenry County's premier sustainability events is coming up, and now's the time to sign up. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its 11th annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place in November, but registration for vendor and artist space is now open. This year's expo will be bigger than ever. The popular Artist Walk returns, featuring sustainable artwork, jewelry, and decorative items. And if your business offers eco-friendly holiday gifts, being a vendor is the perfect head start to the season. Last year's event attracted more than 1,100 visitors. Peggy and I were there, and I bowled pumpkins for compost. It's a fun way to interact with the green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. 
It's fall, and it's a great time of year to plant just about anything native. Once again, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is happy to team with Natural Communities Native Plants to encourage you to make a quick, easy change in the world around you by planting natives. Just like bulbs, native perennial plants installed in the late summer and fall develop their roots and get a head start in the spring. This helps cut down on weeding and also gets you more mature plants with better blooms next year. Fall also usually brings more rain and cooler temperatures than the harsh summer, which helps get plants established. Make a difference right now that's going to last for years. Make the switch to natives, natural communities native plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net and use the code MIKE. You'll get 10% off your purchase until October 1st. So bring birds, bees, butterflies, and beauty to your own backyard. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Keep playing, guys. That is uh, the group From the Start, sometimes known as From the Start Chicago. It's Max and Otto. They're here in the studio. We've got Chicken Cam going. <laughs> Ellie is uh, monitoring Chicken Cam, and that's uh, Chicken Cam on Little Thief the Chicken. Now go back to uh, Clara Cluck, and there's Clara. If you're watching on Facebook Live, this is... Uh, a new ground on the Mike Novak we, show. We really are, and uh, <laughs> thanks for uh, handling chicken cam there. Um, well, I, I just want to stand here and listen to the music all day, and just but but we have to talk. So je- nicely done. You know what? Bill Turk is going to be so jealous. He's probably going to show up any second now. He's uh, because he does playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall. Slow. You, were, you always got to be ready for it. You never know when that, that Sorry, title Sorry, I was reading gonna... things being posted uh, on I, Facebook I at know the same it. time here. Oh, okay. Oh, well, then you can tell us about what's going on in Facebook. Um, People are just enjoying the fun. Oh, good. And it is fun. And we've got Chicken Cam here, and we've got uh, uh, Otto and Max and uh, from the start. Uh, just for a second, you guys, uh, come on over here real quick to the mic. Uh, let me get that up there. There we go. Tell us a little bit about your band. Uh, well, we started... Um, just lean into the mic just a little bit. Uh, so we have a third member um, with our band, Ruben, who plays a guitar. Um, he's not with us today, but we started... Um, yeah, I saw it in the photo. I put the photo up on um, on uh, my blog, right. and I assume that's Ruben in there as well. That is, Okay. Yes. And we've known each other since we were uh, basically toddlers, so that's what we call. That's why we call ourselves from the start. <laughs> that's what we talk about it, yeah. Uh, you guys play great. Thank you. How long have you been studying? Uh, but now, do you play just banjo or other instruments? I play banjo and guitar. And I play mandolin and fiddle. 
mandolin and and yeah, you have to get right up there. And I'm so sorry. Mandolin and, and fiddle. Okay. So, uh, oh, I, you didn't bring a fiddle, did you? Oh, darn. I love I love a fiddle. Uh, and where, in, where, uh, where did you guys learn? How have you learned all the instruments in your songs? Uh, well, I first I first got interested in banjo by when I was in, uh, playing piano, and mm-hmm. our downstairs tenant actually played banjo. And ah. that's how I got interested in it. And then I started taking classes at the Old Town School of Folk Music about two years later. I've been interested ever since. Well, you guys are going to play some more here today before it's all said and done. So think of two more songs to come out of break with. And uh, so get that. Get, uh, what did we just hear? Old Joe Clark? Is that what uh, that, that one's called? Cluck Old Hen. Cluck Old Hen. Sounded like Old Joe Clark. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> old Joe Cluck. Uh, old Joe Clark. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you, Martha. <laughs> you you will have to leave now, okay? Uh, in fact, I have. Uh, I, I was going to do this. Uh, until I found out that you guys are were here um, playing live music, I, I have music though for Martha, which she's probably heard before. <laughs> All together. And you have to imagine what's going on in the cartoon uh, at that point. I don't even remember. Uh, anyway, uh, a ton of folks, you guys can uh, can back off. Let's get our uh, our. Oh, we've got the. Oh, uh, well, you can still uh, have. Uh, we don't. Do you gonna get rid of uh, chicken cam? What do you think, uh, yeah. Ellie? Yeah. Um, for now, we'll bring chicken cam. Can take a break. We'll, okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll bring back chicken cam in, in a chicken second. Chicken cam needs to tweet once we're talking about the chickens. <laughs> but 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 stand by, Ellie. We may need you for that. All right. Um, uh, let's start with Martha. And and folks, first of all, I want to let you know that if you go to MikeNovak.net, um, I have a ton of information. If only because chicken chicago chicken enthusiasts has a ton of information and i borrowed some of that to put on i I, you're nodding martha like you you saw saw it yeah thank you so much well what i wanted to do was get out there and i didn't want to just say hey we got some chicken capers here on the show i want to explain a little bit about what you guys do and the fact that this is a popular uh it's not just a pastime but it's a way of life um, and it's not as difficult or scary as a lot of people think it is. And that's one, you know, that's why I put a couple of those myths on there. Uh, if you go to my website, uh, you can get a link to seven myths about raising chickens. And the first two are really important. One is that, um, they're scary because they're disease ridden and they're scary because they produce so much waste. Uh, and that's just a couple of things, and those are dispelled on there. Talk about that just a, a little bit, Martha. I mean, obviously, that's not true. I think with anything, you want to prepare. So really, the idea of the Coop Tour is to give people a chance to see how other folks are doing it so they do make those preparations before they get themselves potentially into trouble. And, of course, you're doing your PR thing right away. Here yeah. I am going in the chickens. Let's let's mention the Coop Tour right away, and then we'll mention it again. It's next week. Which and it's Saturday and Sunday. Oh, she's holding up the coop Look tour for the flags. So, uh, in fact, turn it around and you've got the camera right behind you. Oh, right there. There you go. There, we go. can almost see it. Oh, I'm hearing chickens here in the uh-huh. studio as well. There we go. So that is our um, chicken coop tour flag. 
And yeah, and a lot of people and, want those. Apparently, yeah. I want a T-shirt with the Windy yeah. City Coop, Coop Tour uh, logo on it. We're still working on merchandising. And we need that flag to fly in front of, you know, outside of buildings and stuff too. <laughs> yeah, but at least the sign is up on all the host sites, and each year people apply, and they're just willing to let the public come in and see what they're doing. And how many um, uh, hosts do you have this year? Twenty-six. Possibly 27. I'm still waiting to hear back from <laughs> well, you got a week. <laughs> one more school. Oh, okay. Yeah, and most are residential, but a couple are schools, one's a business. There are four time windows, and so people just choose based on when they're available. And it all goes up on our chicagochickens.org website. There's a link to a map and a link to the descriptions of the sites. Mm-hmm. So people make their own itinerary just based on where they are, what they're interested in, how much time they've got, and they can go and see what, what's out there. And uh, and as you said, uh, uh, Chai Chick Ends is all about learning from and enjoying the flock of folks, and you use the word flock, keeping <laughs> urban poultry and other livestock. Uh, it's about recommending and modeling good methods while dispelling misinformation, and it's about promoting and preserving policies that support people keeping backyard livestock and growing their own food. Now, these chickens are not... For food, except for the eggs, right? Right. So that's how that works. And and actually, I've 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 thought about doing that myself. But let's talk to our uh, two of our people on the tour, Suzanne Plunkett, uh, holding Clara Cluck. Uh, how's Clara doing there? She's, yeah, how are you doing? You're not nervous, are you, Clara? Uh, Randall, if if she can't get close to the mic because of Clara, <laughs> Clara, you can bring it up a little bit. Whoop whoop. Uh-oh. We might need chicken cam on No, that. she's fine. She's fine. She's she's just a little nervous being on the radio. <laughs> I would be, too. It's her first time on the radio, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how long have you had Clara? I've had her for four years since she was a little baby. A little chick. A little chick. A little chick. Yep. Uh, and how long have you been raising chickens? Um, For four years. Uh, actually. So, heard, that, so you're rather new to this. I'm kind of new to it. I yeah. heard Martha talking about chickens in Chicago on the radio, and there was a <laughs> a big um, sort of uh, chicken fair, livestock fair. The Urban Livestock mm-hmm. Expo, which happens every February. So I went down there and, and got a lot of information, and a friend of mine had already been raising chickens in Los Angeles, and I was always envious of her. So I took the plunge, and I have three chickens. So tell us, ah. okay, four years into the mission, what has surprised you about doing this? It's way easier than I thought, and and chickens are endlessly amusing. They're, <laughs> I try to stake myself out uh, at a window that overlooks the yard, and it's just fun to to watch them. <laughs> and, I'm sorry, little thief keeps <laughs> kicking the uh, what do you call the bedding, the, the, the bedding uh, out of uh, the cage there. The bedding. I'm looking over here and. Bedding just keeps flying out of the cage here. Now, do you have to keep a little thief in the cage on purpose? I, I can try to get her out. She's not a, I can try to get her out. She's not as experienced a celebrity as Clara. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, can, I can try. Uh, no, I don't. Well, it, it's up to you. You, you know, whatever. Randall's makes, next break. Like, Randall's shaking his head he, in there. He's not sure that, <laughs> that this is what he See, we did this on purpose because uh, we're starting to have a history of bringing animals into the studio. And Randall loves that. He loves it when we bring animals into the studio. Though the last one was a bagworm crawling across the counter, which, <laughs> yeah. which the birds would have gone after. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and actually we, we, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. So, um, uh, Rachel, tell me a little bit about your experience. 
doing this? Uh, well, we've had chickens since 2010. Mm-hmm. This is actually our second round. We just started over the spring. So Little Thief is new. She's, uh, what, March? So six months old or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we got them in 2010 because of these two mus- musicians here. Um, really? Yeah, because Max really wanted a bird. And uh, I thought an outside bird was a better idea for our family. <laughs> but we went on the chicken coop tour, uh, I think the first one before it was Hannah even called. Hannah yeah. was 2010. Yeah. Um, and that's how we sort of saw how all these other I people I think we were. actually talked about that on my show. I think so. Back in 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then you said, okay, this is for me, right? Yeah. Well, actually, at the same time, my dad had actually gotten them in Tennessee in a much more sensible place out in the country where he had, like, room to roam. No, 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 no. <laughs> See, no, 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 no. That's that. Oh, you're right. You're not supposed that's to. That's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong because this is, you can do it in the city, in an urban area, in a suburban area. And now it depends on your municipality, mm-hmm. too. One of the things I was surprised at is how lax, not lax, but how the city of Chicago just says, do it humanely and uh, don't cause trouble. Uh, and don't kill them. And don't kill them. Uh, whereas a lot of municipalities, if you look down the list, they've you're jumping through hoops of fire. Mm-hmm. Just a, a, a friend of mine uh, who uh, I've known for years lives in Libertyville, has been begging Libertyville to let them raise chickens mm-hmm. in the city limits there, and they won't do it. And I'm thinking, that's in the country, practically. I mean, Liber- I know, not anymore, but come on, folks, get with the program. Uh, and there are other places like that that make it a lot harder. Um, what do people in the city of Chicago need to think about? Obviously, because it's an urban area, most of the lots are smaller, mm-hmm. and and I, I imagine you have to think of your neighbors is one of the very first things you need to do. Uh, who, one of you guys address that. Uh, Suzanne, what, what, what did you have to deal with? Well, that? most people in Chicago don't have roosters because of uh, aforementioned neighbor problems. Roosters are a little noisier. They can be also aggressive with, with your hens. And then you can get lots of chicks that way because, you know, that's what chickens do with each other. <laughs> <laughs> so... Most people just have hens, and um, and hens are really pretty quiet. I mean, every now and then they'll get into a little squawky, you know, one-minute stretch. But other than that, they, they're just busy looking around the yard for, for bugs and stuff like that. I think that uh, that's one of the misconceptions about chickens is I think a lot of people think that all they eat is grain. Because this is what you see in the movies and on TV, but they're omnivores uh, like human beings. So they go foraging in the yard, right, Suzanne? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so I imagine the larger area you have, the happier chicken is going to be. Yeah, they they love to roam around, and they'll they'll they will devastate uh, your garden. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh, so they're going to do so. Yeah, Martin, get in here. They're, they're good they for rototilling. They eat pretty much everything, yes. You know, oh, come you on, have, don't be shy. Get in there. If you have beautiful perennials, they will be annuals. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to say something about the roosters because of our six chickens we got, it turned out one is a rooster. We named him Shady Crow, and sometimes he starts crowing at five in the morning. And when we discussed with our neighbors to get rid of him, they all said, no, no, we don't. We want him. All oh, our nice. neighbors are so excited about oh, really? having a rooster crow at 530 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but we did make it clear. We said the minute it bothers you, you mm. let us know because he's out of here. That's really the only concern is the noise. 
I, I have to admit, there's a rooster a couple of doors down in my neighborhood. And that thing uh, crows all day long, all day long. And I don't mind it a bit. You know, it's no different from hearing a cardinal or a robin out there. It's just a rooster. Or a loud neighbor or a barking mm-hmm. dog. Or a barking dog mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever you hear. Um, it doesn't bother me a lick. And I don't know what the issue is. If that, that I, I think it's because not the sound itself, but that's a, it's a rooster. So people feel like they should be upset. I mean, it's a, it's silly. It's a stereotypical kind of situation. So I think that's that might be the issue with uh, with roosters. But I guess when you get them with chickens, because I don't know if there are any chickens there. I think there might just be a rooster. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know where they are. I don't know exactly where they are. Cause you just kind of hear I the just, rooster. I just hear the rooster all day long, and it's fine with me. And uh, it doesn't wake me up at 530. I can guarantee that. All right. We're going we're gonna to take a break here. Um, and uh, when we come back, we're going to hear more music. Of course, uh, from uh, from the start, uh, we'll we'll slide them in position. We might need, a, need another shot of uh, chicken cam, um, so LA, you might want to get ready for that. Uh, and again, if you got any questions about raising chickens uh, in the city or the suburbs, eight seven 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 eleven fifty six eleven, we would be very happy to uh, answer those. And we need to talk about some of the other uh, issues. Uh, I thought one of the interesting things that I read was um, end-of-life issues, and it's uh, that occurred to me. Wow, yeah, that's that. Think be... about it from the start. From the start, okay. <laughs> All right, and we'll talk about whatever we need to talk about. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki, and Chicago chicken enthusiasts are in the house. From boat to doorstep. You can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. Tree-stories.org. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. 
They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. Mike Nova, keep just keep playing a little bit. I like having the music under me. There we go. I don't know if you can mute a, a banjo, but uh, there you go. That's a Max and Otto, and uh, they are the group from the start. Now, I tried to link the uh, Facebook page uh, on our Facebook post, was not able to do that. So you got to go to my website, MikeNovak.net. Go to the blog, uh, and uh, you can find the link to their website. Uh, and they've got YouTubes, and they've got all kinds. In fact, I have a link to a YouTube there. I got a, I have a link to their Instagram and a link to their Facebook page on my blog, even though I couldn't tag them there. So, you know, hashtag blame Mark Zuckerberg uh, or blame Bill. Yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. And we've got uh, Chicken Cam is back, and Andrew is holding Chicken Cam Right. Oh, that's little a great shot little. there. I love that of Little Thief. Oh, look at Little Thief the chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how old is Little Thief? Six months. Six months? Yeah. Oh, no, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. just drag that over. That's great. Yeah. And lift that up. No lift, problem. Lift that up a bit there, yeah. There we go. I know. These microphones, it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, she's about six months old. We got her in March. Oh, okay. And what, what type of hen? She's a speckled Sussex. That's a lovely yeah, she's uh, pattern there. That's that's a beautiful chicken there. Uh, and and the thing that we're seeing with uh, Suzanne and Rachel, and by that we uh, by that I mean Rachel Allard and Suzanne Plunkett. Um, Martin, how do you pronounce your last name? Rotgeber. Uh, Rotgeber. Yes. Uh, Rotgeber. How's, ah, there we go. See, I can I can do yeah. that. Uh, uh, it was uh, Martin Rotgeber uh, is also here in the studio, and uh, Max and Otto and Andrew on Chicken Cam and Ellie and Randall and Martha Boyd, who we didn't think was going to be here in person. And thank you so much for coming up. Because my I kn- pleasure. I know you got looking way too fun. Hustle into this. <laughs> it is. Are we having a good time or what? <laughs> One of the things I think people, the misconceptions people have about chickens is they think. 
you know, they're going to fuss and you, you can't hold them. They're going to scratch you and now you're going to get disease. And, and I'm looking at it. You guys are, it's like holding a cat, basically, isn't it? Uh, so Maybe easier than that. Do, do, <laughs> they're not squirming. Talk a little bit about the different personalities that, that chickens have in terms of, um, of the way you can approach them. Oh, sure. Well, they actually do have absolutely different personalities. That's why this was the one to bring. Um, the rooster, obviously, he's the least wanting to be held, but even the varying degrees of all of them. Um, some are more curious from the beginning. Some are more skittish. So mm-hmm. they're just they're just fun. I learned several years ago that you can do that. You just grab a chicken and you hold it and it's Kind of comforting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> some, some follow you around the yard and some run when you come near. So you just never know what you're going to Take get. them for a car ride. They're happy, you know. Yeah, this one was fine. <laughs> so, Suzanne, why why is Clara Cluck so uh, easy to deal with? Do you have any idea? Well, the buff Orpington breed is kind of known as a super friendly, relaxed, kind of friendly, cheerful chicken. <laughs> cheerful chicken. <laughs> yeah. We raise only cheerful chickens. chickens. All right. When people ask about breeds with small children, for example, the Buff Orpingtons are often mm-hmm. oh, are a they? recommendation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, if and, and this might be where you're headed anyways, if you're going to start getting into chickens and you start your first brood of chickens, how long can you expect to have them? What's the typical life cycle of having the birds? What's your commitment, in other words? Go ahead. Uh, Martha, well, Martha, you probably you know better, out. but we did have, mm-hmm. so we had a, our first in 2010 and we just, the, that's why we got new ones this spring. Mm-hmm. The very last one just died and they just sort of slowly went. So one went after two years and then I think one went, the next was four years later and then they just all died naturally. We kept them on as pets after. So, I mean, that's a decision of the, the you know, they stopped laying eggs um, maybe around four. Five, although the last one that died in March was laying until the wow. last day. <laughs> really? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, is it, okay, this just seems silly, but is it traumatic when you lose your bird? The first one was really very sad. We had to bury her and the boys played music for her funeral and it was really hard. I got a feeling the boys are there for a lot <laughs> with, with musical background so that's that's cool. Yes but as it progressively went along we got uh, it was a little bit easier to mm-hmm. uh, to understand it was just natural um, they were they all sort of just keeled over when they were done. <laughs> so t- t- talk to us a little bit about the care of chickens what what exactly if I were going to do it, I would hesitate only because I can barely keep a cat, all right? And all you got to do is keep the litter box clean and have food out there, and that's it. Um, what about chickens? I, I think they're easier than a cat. I think they're easier. Really? The easiest pet we've ever had. I mean, they just require food and water, and when they're little, there's it's very important to keep them warm and you know, it's, it's a, there's, there's a crucial period. I, Martha, how long? I, it's like a few months. That it's Partly really depends critical. when you get them if it's cold out. Yeah. Right? yeah. But where you're adjusting the temperature and you've got them super protected from predators and then they feather out and you eventually put them outside and then they fend for themselves really well. Right. But once they're <coughs> able to be outside, I find I, they're so easy. We just give them food and water. Check that every day. Check for mm-hmm. eggs, which is fine. You're out there checking for eggs anyway. You just check their food and water. Um, but we let them out all day to roam and then just put them in at night. So there's that added hassle. 
Uh, of closing the door. Speak, <laughs> speaking of predators and that sort of thing, what kind of protection do you need, Suzanne? What do you do? You have to have a, a coop where they will sleep at night, and then it's critical that you lock them in at night. <clears throat> so that's one thing is you have to be around to be able to let them out in the morning unless mm-hmm. you want to, quote, coop them up all day. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then lock them in at night. So there are raccoons. I had a possum come visiting one time. Um, hawks in Chicago are mm-hmm. a, a big thing. I've had two um, hawk scares where they started. I just heard a ruckus outside and um, went out, and there was a hawk sitting on the fence, just kind of like, hmm, which one looks yeah. the best Cooper's for lunch? Hawk, just Yikes. waiting. What yeah. did you do? Go running uh, well, out. Well, my dog luckily is very protective of the chickens, and she heard the the squawking and came running out too. And uh, you know, I think that's might might have been what scared the hawk off. What? But he flew. She he she flew off. What kind of a dog do you have? She's just a mutt dog, and she's um, <laughs> that's another thing that. You have to sort of consider, but most dogs that I've seen kind of look at the chicken and go, oh, that's a chicken, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't care too much. Yeah. You'll know within a couple of minutes, usually, what you're, how a dog is going to interact with chickens. They either are pulling at the leash to eat them or they're kind <laughs> of just curious. And my now, dog is great with the chickens. Well, see, now that's an issue, too, then, mm-hmm. if you already have a dog. Uh, but as you say, a dog can be very useful in protecting right. the ticket chickens. Rachel, have you had any uh, uh, episodes? Uh oh, uh, Mark is <laughs> getting we're in here. We're still arguing if our dog, which is a standard poodle, if she just wants to play with them <laughs> or if she wants to eat them. But she <laughs> made she it into them. the backyard and playfully put her mouth around the neck of one of our chickens. Mm. Uh. And the chicken was, of course... Scared, you know. Of course. Yeah, of course. You know, so we had to grab the dog and get her out of so so we're not sure. We're still arguing. Is she playing or is she I think her inner wolf will take over eventually. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it depends on your dog and it you have does. to see yeah. how they react. Uh-huh. I even had a cat that protected a chicken yeah. in my household. And my dog was raised with the chickens and I very purposely would put the chick next to the dog and and you know, say no, 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 and and act very protective of the chick. So th- so she knew instantly that's something very important to me. Okay. I think I'm <laughs> anthropomorphizing, but that's what I think. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about about the tour next week. Again, uh, it is the 2018 Windy City Coop and Eco Yard Tour. Mm-hmm. We, you and I, uh, Martha, talked about this earlier in the year. We we were going to hope we were hoping we could com- kind of combine. The um, uh, Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards in this. That didn't happen, but maybe it will. Mm-hmm. What's the eco-yard part of this? I wanted to highlight what most people are already doing. When they get chickens, they're pretty much also the kind of people that are going to have things like compost piles mm-hmm. and rainwater collection and intensive course, gardening yeah. and beehives. So we've got people on the tour with bees, with goats. Um, various forms of gardening, little orchards, things like that. So the idea really is to say this is part of, like you said, it's a way of life and a lifestyle. And there's people living in the city doing really interesting things in their little yards. Yes, there are. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, and and one of the things we talk about on the show a lot is native plants. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the second hour, we've got Doug Terran coming on from uh, the uh, Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. And we're going to talk about monarchs. And uh, wh- one of the things that uh, people are doing is they're planting milkweed and they're planting uh, flowers that are s- serving as food sources for not just monarchs, but other butterflies. And they're doing things like 
Uh, I got a post the other day, a good friend of mine, Rinda West, who's a landscaper in, uh, in Chicago, lives in Chicago. She was talking about leaving your plants and the litter from your plants and the leaves on the ground all winter. Let it stay there uh, uh, until the spring and don't even chop it up. Just leave it all there because that's where a lot of our insects mm-hmm. overwinter. A lot of eggs and cocoons. And uh, eggs like and co- and and when mm-hmm. you start chopping and messing, see it, the minute you know we we humans just need to mess around. We just can't stand nature doing what nature does. So and we got to tidy it. Oh no, we'll make it better. We'll make it easier for the things to decompose. No, that's not the way it works. And that's some of the stuff you're going to see on the eco tour. Right. So what what do you hope to get across uh, in the we got like a minute here and then we'll we'll break one more time and then uh, play some music coming back. Uh, what And there's our there's our music right now. What do you want to get across to uh, to the people who walk into your yard? If you had one word or two words that uh, Suzanne, it, it's just really fun. <laughs> OK, that's that's a good place to start. Martin, you were going to say something. They do great in Chicago winters. They survive winters easily. You know what? That's so, something I want to talk about, too. So we're going to come back. More chicken stuff. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Do you know that Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? This is Peggy, and I know this is true because for eight years I've been publishing Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and they're ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicago who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, doctors, dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. If you're a landscaper, educator, administrator, or even a homeowner who's figured out that a couple of junipers and a lawn ain't sustainable, the 2018 Impact Conference is for you. Presented by the Illinois Landscape Contractors Association, this day-long event looks at how plant communities, soil, natural lawn care, stormwater management, and designing for habitat are long overdue parts of smart landscaping. Impact is October 16th at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Go to ilca.net slash impactconference. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. This is your talk. One of the few true originals of our time. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago.
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That's from the start. They are in studio. And uh, there are a couple of guys uh, who play the mandolin, they play the banjo, they play the guitar, they play the violin. And they are always accompanied by chickens. That's the way it works here. Again, uh, uh, pull that mic up just one more time. Give us your names and your ages again. That's what (laughs) I I hate to do that. But Uh, so Max Allard, uh, I'm 16 years old. Otto Allard, I'm 14. 16 and 14, folks. Now, do you guys hire out? Do we hire out? I mean, I mean, if somebody said, hey, I want you to play uh, a gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're always up to do that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So go to my website uh, and you can, in fact, let me get uh, the, uh, the page right here, unless you've got it, uh, Peggy, but I've got it right here. Here we are. From the start, uh, it's at, at Max Allard. Uh, dot com, and that's m a x a l l a r d dot com. Do you also you have another website as well? Do you have, or is that the one generally that the uh, folks should go to? That's from the start dot band links to the same website. Yeah. Ah, from the start dot from the st- band. dot band mm-hmm. will link to that too. So we should tweet that out as well because uh, you guys Ellie's on it. You guys need to be making some cash doing this. Okay, <laughs> that's all I got to say. All right, slide out of the way. We got chickens in the hallway. <laughs> And uh, I saw we have uh, Doug Terran. You know, we got a Ph.D. in our lobby, but there's chickens here in the studio that need to be tended to first. And the question we started uh, before we came to the – whoa. A live one. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, I hope so. Uh, uh, The question – just let you know she's there. By the way, uh, also in the studio, Martha, Suzanne, Rachel, and Martin and – and I think we're done with chicken cam at the moment we had, but that was was really fun too – how? What kind of protection do they need for the winter here in the northern climes? Obviously, it can get pretty darn cold. What's a What's a chicken need? Actually, the only thing it really needs is access to water, to liquid water. So if you keep your chicken water from freezing, that's pretty much it. Really? And food. And, and, and food, of course. <laughs> but, and a certain, a certain degree of shelter. You don't want to have them to, to get snowed on. But Well, that's why you have a coop, our, our coop right? Is, our coop is open to one side. We originally built it to be closed off. Yeah. But then we, we read something from some, some people in North Hampshire that you don't need it. As long as they have a three-sided shelter, they're doing perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a foot of snow. I have a few times shoveled the snow out of the chicken coop. Mm-hmm. So but, at least they can go roaming. So if you had feathers, you'd you'd get through the winter pretty well. Okay, so they're you, wearing their feather coat all the time. So actually, the summers are harder, and as we get these longer, hotter periods of time in the summer, people are really worried about keeping their birds cool enough. But in the winter, it's more important that they not be in a space where the um, moisture condenses. So actually, having a side open is better. And then an overly because it stays a little drier, yeah. Well, then an overly insulated coop where you might have because mo- the hens are out the heat and the moisture that's just part of their bodies. If it condenses inside the coop, then they're more likely to get frostbite, and that's when you worry about mm-hmm. them. So they uh, and and I imagine folks are tempted to do high tech, uh, fancy schmancy right. coops, and mm-hmm. they you know and it's as much for themselves and to show off to their neighbors as it is actually for the comfort of the chicken. I would imagine so. Uh, you guys, you do have one, you have an open side coop. Uh, Rachel, what about you, Suzanne? Mine, mine is open on the top and I, I do kind of wimp out and put plastic around two of the sides just to keep drifts from 
coming in at night, but they have one side open and one and the top is open. Okay. Uh, and while I've got you there, and hold on, I'm going to move this again. I'm sorry, we've got to make all these adjustments <laughs> with these microphones. Uh, tell us a little bit about your photography business. I mentioned right at the top of the show, Suzanne, and I, yeah, I know she didn't expect this, but <laughs> I got to give her a plug because she's a terrific photographer. Uh, and uh, she's worked with actors in the city of Chicago forever, uh, uh, and you do other things. Tell me a little bit about your photography business. Uh, I do specialize in headshots for actors, and I do corporate folks as well, but it just sort of became my niche because my background is in theater that I would take pictures of, of actors and performers and models. And you, you're behind uh, the, the start of Lifeline Theater in Chicago. Yes. This was back in the day. Um, and, uh, so I just had, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, your website, what's your website? SuzannePlunkettPhotographs.com. And I actually have that link at, uh, my, on the blog. So Thanks, you, you can go there. Well, I gotta give you a plug. I, mean, <laughs> I appreciate come it. Come on. And, and, and next time, uh, I have a headshot taken, I will try to keep the photographer in mind and actually look at the and proofs. And look at them, yes. Honest to God, I never looked at the proofs. They sat there, uh, hanging over my head and I said, nah. And I guess that that was the point at which I realized, I guess I'm not doing this anymore. This is I, I, because you I, weren't invested. In I it, wasn't yeah. invested. Well, you know, it's a there's a weird ego thing about looking at your picture and examining your own picture and saying, well, gosh, where do I look really great? This yeah. is it, it's it's kind of embarrassing. It and, is. It's 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 it, I tell people it's just not like anything you ever do in life uh, posing for headshots it's it's and, it's not acting and it's not being yourself it's a weird combination of the two yes. and now they're photoshopped as well yeah oh yeah oh boy okay uh i before we go martha boyd you wanted to mention the coop tour guidelines so mm-hmm. yes let's go through that very quickly right since we're telling people to get on out there i want to make sure that they look at the information online we do have some guidelines um one of the most important one is not to bring a dog <laughs> based on what we talked about a little bit here i think that's probably obvious why not to show well, up yeah but dog. you know folks are not going to remember that mm-hmm. don't and, and don't that... bring a foreign dog into somebody else's chicken yard that's just which chicken is making the noises by the way i think that might be clara so get her near the mic. I think that's just so interesting. She's singing okay. a bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what, um, what else? Also, this is hosts' private space that they are opening up to the public, but that doesn't mean that folks have access to their bathrooms or um, inside of the home. And so people need to just plan to bring their water and find somewhere else to use the restroom. <laughs> there are some other guidelines on the um, ChicagoChickens.org Windy City Coop Tour page. So please go there. You'll see the link to the map, the link to the descriptions, and these guidelines. And as I mentioned before tons of information. information you can go right too. down a rabbit hole or as i said a chicken hole and and read and i borrowed a- from a lot of other places too i mean ch- you called them chai chicken errs i guess that's me i just find chicken geeky chicken people are the best <laughs> the, uh, the obsession takes people into some really interesting places and they're doing really great stuff and claire's trying to tell us something claire what do you, do you have a message from the great beyond and all your chicken friends? I think chickens are so misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have I missed? Is there anything that anybody else wanted to get out? Because we've, we've, we've plugged the musicians. Oh. We've plugged the photography. I you- do. Yeah. There is a site in Homewood and a site in Barrington. So hmm. if you're not in the Chicago area, there are there's some folks far flung south and north that you could go to. Yeah. So the- I, I posted a link to the map on the Facebook feed for the show today. Okay. So I want to thank everybody who came in. Thank this you. was so much fun. <laughs> and the chickens are, you know, I'm telling you folks, they're Very really well behaved. well behaved. They're they're 
They're very calm. And now watch it. They'll start flying around the room. But but no, they won't. And so uh, Martha Boyd, Suzanne Plunkett, Rachel Allard, Martin, oh, pronounce it again for me. Otgeba. 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 Max and Otto uh, Allard as well. Uh, Thank you guys all for coming by. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. And uh, go to my website, MikeNovak.net, for all of the information. I could give you all those websites, but you're not going to remember them anyway, so it's easier just to go to MikeNovak.net and and click on it. All right, we're going to talk Monarchs next with Doug Tarrant. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach. Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup on of humor. Or is that a dash? Call us with your questions and comments at 877-711-5611. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? We did, uh, is there music? I have no... Uh, we have no... Okay, I'm sorry. There we are. Make me music Give me all that I can take. Welcome back. Sometimes we get the music and there it is. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, very pleased to have in the studio, uh, once again, a uh, friend of the show, Doug Terran. Ph.D. from the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. He's actually, uh, well, you know, last time you were on the show, Doug, I just read uh, this list of things that you do. I'm not going to go through that list today. Uh, <laughs> Good. You're, you're happy about that. Uh, I think uh, you're director of the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network, and I'm sure you want to get that across. Um, and, of course, uh, what's your official title at the, uh, the Peggy Notabart? Chief Curator of the Chicago Academy of Sciences. There you go. I knew it was, it's here. Yep, there. Chief Curator, right there. Uh, which means that, uh, but you're an entomologist, so when you when they say Chief Curator, it's of basically the insect populations, uh, or does it spread wider than that? Well, I, I I'm the head of the biology department, so oh, well, uh, you got all biology. <laughs> Yeah. Your God is yeah, what sure. you are there. So, um, you know, we have uh, Alison Sacerdote Vallat, who is a herpetologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got our museum collections that um, are part of the biology department. So we've got a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, so uh, Doug is here because, well, this is a, if you've been outside, you've seen monarchs flying around. <laughs> and I saw a post you did about like a week and a half ago 
where you said, oh, my goodness, they're roosting outside Peggy Notabart Nature Museum and down in Millennium Park. Uh, and um, how cool is that? This That's that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? It, it was quite a strong migration this year. And uh, we're past you the peak You say was. So, yeah. so, yeah. We're kind of, so I missed that whole thing. <laughs> ah, God, there Which we go. Is, actually, I'm going to have a question for you about that, too. Uh, but, well, uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to get into yeah. that. And if you've got questions about the migration, again, 877-711-5611. We're going to talk about monarchs, the migration, the populations, because their numbers were up apparently for the summer, and we'll talk about what that means and uh, and all of that with Doug Taren coming up. But there's a couple of things we want to let you know about, and one of which is um, a a presentation that's going to happen next Saturday, September 22nd. Um, it's by Green Scene. Uh, and it's a it's a play, an outdoor play called Helianthus! Exclamation mark. All right, and, and um, it is uh, going to be at Winthrop Harmony Arts Garden, and I'm going to it. Okay, I'm 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 going to see this story of the sunflower. It's basically about sunflowers traveling from the Aztec origins. In in Central America to Russia to uh, I, and I didn't know that the Russians were the ones who genetically hmm. engineered uh, 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 sunflowers to their huge size now, and it's a free pageant. It's a pageant, and and they have costumes, and a backdrop is actually sunflowers, which is is very yeah. cool. Um, and it's Saturday, September twenty second. There are two shows, three and five p.m. Winthrop Harmony Arts Garden, 4919 North Winthrop in Chicago. Uh, and uh, seating is picnic style. So if, you, if you're going to bring some, like more than 10 people, you, you want to write to Marty, M-A-R-T-I-E, at greenscenechicago.org. And, of course, you can go to greenscenechicago.org to find more information. And then on Sunday, the day after, we're going to have some of those kids who are performing are going to be that on the be show. The green scene teens. The green scene teens, not with an N, and they're going to be on the show. We're very excited about this. I think uh, it's, uh, in fact, the, they've got the green scene teens who are performing. Judith, uh, now okay, uh, Judith Kima or Chima, uh, Jesus Guerrero, Evelyn Hernandez, Hakeem Muhammad, and Aida Zelecki. And I'm hoping I got directed by Marty Sanders and and directed by Marty Sanders. And so this sounds really fun. It's called Helianthus, a flower, uh, a power flower trots the globe. All right. And the other thing that's going on that we thought I was going to drive an electric car today because it's National Drive Electric Week. Uh, That didn't work out. It kind of fell through. We kind of put it together at the last second. And we were hoping that I was going to run out into the parking lot across the street with a uh, my my cell phone Skype. and Skype and Skype it back. Uh, but it's going on in Evanston today uh, for Evanston's National Electric Drive Week event. Um, it's today from noon to four at the Evanston Civic Center parking lot, 2100 Ridge Avenue. It's going to be filled with electric vehicles or EVs. So you'll see all kinds of uh, makers of EVs, Chevrolet, mm-hmm. Chrysler, Fiat, Honda, Porsche, N- Nissan, Tesla. And Volvo, and I guess uh, the new Tesla Model 3 will be there. I was actually kind of interested. They were going to have me drive the Chevy Bolt, mm-hmm. not Volt, but Bolt, hmm. um, and because it costs a lot less. I just wish 
we would stop making internal combustion <laughs> engines. Can we? Can we? Yeah. Can we do that, folks? But no, because people have to have their SUVs, their big honking F- SUVs, just so they could go. Hey, look at me! I'm important. We <laughs> uh, can go to gogreenillinois.org and click on events and get more information as well. So go, you can go there, go green Illinois, and there's also a, a link that I have on my blog for National Drive Electric Week, uh, and it's basically. Uh, if I would do this, driveelectricweek.org, uh, and you can yeah, uh, go there. slash and event it. and a whole bunch of other stuff. All right. When we come back, Doug Tarrant, monarchs, other butterflies, maybe even some dragonflies. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. From boat to doorstep. You can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. If it's fall, it's a great time of year to plant just about anything native. Once again, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is happy to team with Natural Communities Native Plants to encourage you to make a quick, easy change in the world around you by planting natives. Just like bulbs, native perennial plants installed in the late summer and fall develop their roots and get a head start in the spring. This helps cut down on weeding and gets you more mature plants with better blooms next year. Fall also usually brings more rain and cooler temperatures than the harsh summer, which helps get plants established. Make a difference right now that is going to last for years. Make the switch to natives, natural communities, native plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net and use the code MIKE. You'll get 10% off your purchase until October 1st. Bring birds, bees, butterflies, and beauty to your own backyard. Go to naturalcommunities.net. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. This is your talk. Do you read me? On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Come on, is anybody even out there? Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That makes no sense. Okay, thank you. Uh, and uh, uh, nothing uh, I say makes <laughs> sense. But when we get this guy in the studio, Doug Taron, and, and I want to thank you so much for, for coming by here because we're all very excited about the Monarch Migration 2018. Um, 
And it's interesting because you've been on the show enough times to know that I'm kind of a pessimist about. (laughs) (laughs) What, you? Yeah, me? Come on, man. That makes no sense. That makes. (laughs) Yeah, well, Mr. Obama's there, too. That makes no sense. All right, there we go. But I look at this. And I want to be enthusiastic, but I'm I'm cautious, and I and I'm betting that people like you, scientists out there, watching lots of monarchs and hearing anecdotal reports of monarchs, and and, and getting actual counts because you, your monitoring network is out there counting, are kind of holding their breath and saying, "Okay, let's just see what this means," because we really don't know what it means right now. Well, I, in part, I think that what we're seeing is just part of um, what the monarch population is all about. Mm-hmm. It, it jumps around a lot from year to year. Uh, you have really good years. We've had a couple of really bad years uh, fairly recently that got people concerned. And this is part of the normal dynamic of the population. Mm-hmm. Well, except – and one of the things I wrote on my blog is get back to me in 100 years and I'll tell you what this really means. Okay, because we didn't even find out where monarchs overwinter until the mid 70s. All right. So and we didn't start doing the counts until the 90s, basically. So we don't even know that it's it's possible if we've been doing this for two or three hundred years, we would go, oh, yeah, every couple of decades, the, the population dips to almost nothing and then it rebounds or something like that. We just don't know those. So we don't have – so that's what I meant is like in the bigger picture, over decades, we will have a better understanding of this, assuming that this isn't a precipitous decline in the end of monarchs as we know them. So – uh, we might be learning something this year, uh, especially if they rebound in great numbers. Well, <clears throat> it's not unprecedented. We've seen really big years before within the period of time that we've been getting actual numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, um, 1996 was even substantially bigger than this year. Wow. And um, you can you – Well, can yeah, see- that was – that would, they, they were counted in the billion uh, – about a billion down in Mexico. Down, that, down in mm-hmm. Mexico, yeah. it was um, – uh, what's interesting about 1996 is different groups saw it as a huge outlier year in very different parts of the monarch's range using very different methods of assessing how many there mm-hmm. were. Okay. So it's that was a real thing that happened. Too, too many – the data came in yeah. from too many places. Ah. All right. So how, how has that count been refined since then though? Um, the Well, the Butterfly Monitoring Network is using the same methods that we were using back in 1996. Um, we've just got more data now okay. is, is, is really what, it, what it's all about. And um, uh, it's, it's going to be really cool to see what happens in Mexico this year because one thing that we have seen is that the numbers that we see here in Illinois through the Butterfly Monitoring Network are – in general, a pretty good predictor of what you're going to see in Mexico the following winter, which suggests it's going to be a great year in Mexico mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't know until we get to that point, but we suspect it's going to be really good. That, By the way, that's uh, Doug Terran, chief curator at the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. Um, so tell me what number kind of numbers the Illinois Butterfly Network has been seeing this year. Uh, this is... The fourth highest level that we have seen since 1993, which is as far back as our analysis goes. Wow. And um, I, I should offer the caveat that that is preliminary data. We don't actually even have 
all of the data in, but we've got enough at this point that that is unlikely to change substantially. Mm -hmm. uh, also, um, that is data mostly from the summer, not from the recent migration that everybody has right. been noticing. So this was something that we've been sort of uh, gearing up for all summer long, uh, higher than typical numbers. So explain how that works then. If you, you have summer numbers and then you're going to get what migration numbers and then you will tally those and, and issue some kind of report perhaps, or then do you, or do you just wait till the winter and see what comes out of Mexico? How does that all work? Uh, how, how it works is we actually have not even uh, formally asked the butterfly monitors to submit their data yet. Most mm -hmm. people submit it as they're collecting over the summer. Okay. So we'll do that. Uh, then somewhere around November, I will say, okay, I'm going to declare that uh, <laughs> uh, all of the data are in, and I will I will run the numbers at that point. See, I told you you were in charge. <laughs> Doug says, I declare butterfly season to be over. I run the numbers. <laughs> That's right. I run the numbers. <laughs> um, well, butterfly data collection season to be yes. over. Yeah. Uh, and then some, somewhere around the 1st of February, uh, the numbers out of Mexico will come okay. out next yeah. year, and we'll be able to do that comparison. Yeah. So, so, so what you're talking about right now then with us is, is pretty much anecdotal stuff, isn't it? Uh, it it is. I mean, it's certainly none of this is, has been through peer reviewed. No, it's uh, it's a little better than just uh, wow. I've seen a lot of monarchs this year. <laughs> yeah. We've actually yeah. we've that's actually... what I do. That's what Peggy and I do. We go, yeah, a lot of monarchs out there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but yeah. you guys, yeah. you do it slightly more scientific, but you don't have the actual data for it. Yeah, uh, we've we've got a big chunk of the data. We just we don't have all of the data, and and we um this is sort of the uh, back of the envelope level of calculation at this point. We'll do something more formal later on. Mm -hmm. But it's still very exciting to, yeah. um, especially with this huge migration that we had this year, everybody was noticing it. So it was just a lot of fun. Yeah, I was reading an article on Journey North uh, talking about huge roosts coming through Michigan last week. You had your photos posted from outside Peggy Notabart and Medewin posted this morning on Illinois Sierra, huge roosts down at Medewin, Tallgrass Prairie. So what is the roost? Well, the, the roosts up here when they're migrating um, mm -hmm. are not consistent at all. They move around from year to year. They vary on how many monarchs they are. But as the monarchs are going south, at night, they will find trees and uh, roost in them. And their behavior is such at this time of year that they tend to like to aggregate a lot. So mm -hmm. they will roost in these large aggregations with dozens or hundreds or thousands of monarchs sitting in the same trees or shrubs. Um, I, I uh, saw on social media this morning that um, there were a whole bunch of them down in the Kankakee Sands doing mm -hmm. this uh, wow. yesterday. So. Are there a particular species or genuses that they are, are attracted to to uh, to stop on? I've I've noticed them uh, in different types of trees. Uh, once out at Nechusa, there were no trees in that part of the prairie, and they were perching in shrubs. Uh, I think it's pretty opportunistic, and they use what's available to mm -hmm. them. Uh, I know when they when they cross a body of water like Lake Erie, uh, when they get to the other side, often what they'll find are cottonwoods, and so those are used a lot. <laughs> of course, <laughs> what else uh, on 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 uh, a body of water but a cottonwood? <laughs> Uh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. One of the things, uh, that you wrote, uh, I, I went to your, your Facebook page and saw a terrific article because we've 
over the past couple of years is people uh, have noticed that, you know, and more and more people, I mean, I've known this for a while and so has Peggy, but as more of uh, the average citizen notices that monarchs are in trouble, they say, well, how can I help other than plant milkweed? And one of the things they want to do is raise monarch butterflies in captivity and then set them free. And you posted this amazing article from the Xerxes Society, uh, and you can find the link at MikeNovak.net. I've got it there. And it's titled, Keep Monarchs Wild, Why Captive Rearing Isn't the Way to Help Monarchs. And it goes into detail about that. Um, and basically, the the recommendation they make is don't raise more than 10. You can do 10. You got kids. You want to mm-hmm. show them this. But when you start getting into the hundreds, now you're just messing with things, and it's probably counterproductive, even though you think you're helping nature. Nature's much vaster and grander than we can imagine, and, and it has its own ways of working things, doesn't it? It, it does, and, and since I posted that, I've seen something else that, um, that came up through social media that extends this concern. Uh, somebody had discovered there's a, a rare mutation uh, where you get a white monarch. Uh, mm-hmm. And this has been known for some time. And uh, somebody got really enamored in that and started raising white monarchs. Uh-oh. So here we are artificially um, selecting yeah. selecting for what would normally be a really, really rare gene. Right. And it it can pollute the gene pool. Now, we don't know how much to what extent and, and how much we can have an effect at all. But the more monarchs we let out there. Uh, and, and part of the problem with raising them in captivity is they tend to get disease. They might not be as strong as the ones that are in the wild. It's harder. So you got a, you got a monarch that's not as strong, but it's mating and it's creating offspring that are not as strong. And then they create offspring and that's part. And it also narrows the gene pool too. If you keep doing it over and over and over again in the same area. Uh, and that creates issues as well. You know, we were talking uh, a couple of years ago when we were uh, at our pirate radio Arr. because it's talk like a pirate day on the 19th. Did you know that? I don't know if you realize that. I, I, it's a fun holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about buffalo in America. And there came a point where we had, what, so few buffalo left after having millions. Uh, and there were a few thousand, I think left, maybe less. I don't remember mm-hmm. what the exact number, but what it does to the gene pool is, is it funnels it all into this little narrow area. And then even if you're reproducing for a long time, you're getting the same genes and that causes problems. Now, after this was a hundred years ago, so I would think a hundred years later, we're probably better off, but we don't know what we did to the gene pool of the buffalo by nearly ex- extirpating them. Um, so that was so when I read this article that you, you posted, I was very pleased that you did. And now I have more ammunition. And and folks, uh, one of the things it talks about is the, the commercial outfits that, that raise monarchs to release them at weddings and things. Please do not use those, okay? And you're you're nodding your head, Doug. Um, uh, you agree. Tell me about yeah. those operations. Do you know anything about those operations? Well, uh, some of those operations are the same people who are providing us with butterflies for the Butterfly Haven exhibit at the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. And so um, um, it's it's really the practice that I have uh, a little bit more concern with than, than mm-hmm. the operations themselves. It's... Um, but- uh, it is a good way to uh, increase disease spread among butterflies when when the releases are done. 
Mm-hmm. Also, what you what you were saying about uh, selecting for perhaps weaker uh, butterflies, there's actually some good data on that. We have this tagging program where people stick little tags on the monarchs up here during mm-hmm. the migration and let them go, and the tags get recovered down in Mexico. And when you do tagging, one of the things that you check off in the data sheet is, is this a wild-caught monarch that you're tagging, or is this a commercial monarch that you're tagging? And the recovery rates for commercial monarchs are lower hmm. than the recovery rates for uh, tags on wild-caught monarchs. Well, we're going to be bringing in uh, Rick DeMaio pretty, uh, in the next segment. So before we – because we're going to talk hurricanes and monarchs and other insects. But I, I, know, I noticed also that you posted about a dragonfly migration recently and you're we never give enough time for dragonflies and i know you love dragonflies so tell me about that what's going on i i do a number of dragonfly species have had really good years this year uh like with the butterflies not all dragonfly species uh migrate but there are several that do green darners black Mm -hmm. saddlebags and there have been all up and down lake michigan these huge uh, swarms of dragonflies being seen. Generally, what you see, you don't tend to notice them quite as much when they are moving. It's, mm-hmm. it's sort of like the monarchs. You notice them more when they're feeding and when they're doing their roosting aggregations. With the dragonflies, they will pause periodically and do this enormous feeding swarms of thousands sometimes yeah. of dragonflies just going in every which direction <laughs> overhead. They're, they're just amazing to see. And... um. Uh, the dragonfly migration is also really cool because we don't really know where they're going or what they're doing. There's still a lot more to learn about that. Do do people tag the dragonflies in the monitoring networks too? Um, I am not aware of drag, dragonfly tagging programs. One of the reasons that that would be more difficult to to have work than monarch tagging is that the monarchs all go to this relatively small number of places and really concentrate Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. If dragonflies are doing something similar, we haven't discovered the place yet. And so there's no place where it's really easy to recover tags. Are you going to be the guy that finds that place? Have you, do you go on those uh, journeys to do that? Uh, About 10 years ago, I went down to Veracruz in Mexico to uh, try to find uh, where the dragonflies were going. And we did see dragonfly migration. At least some of them are getting down that far, but they're probably actually going even further south than that. Wow. You know, in a way, I don't want to know. I don't want you guys to find out. I know it's science, and you and you guys can't help yourselves. It's still the magic of nature, too. uh, You know, and I because I don't know if it's good or bad that we know where the monarchs travel to and overwinter because that area is under threat. And and one of the things we should note is is in terms of monarch decline, there are a lot of factors involved. Don't just think it's one thing. Uh, You can't you can't just point your finger at Roundup and GMO crops. Um, you can't just point your finger at climate change. You can't just point your finger at deforestation. You can't just uh, point your finger at um, the, well, uh, us uh, developing lands as well and farms and all that. It's all of it. It's all of the above and disease and whatever else is in there. And and maybe some things we don't even know about yet. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. I, I think one of the things that's interesting that's coming out is that urban areas are turning out to be very mm-hmm. important for monarchs and their survival. Yes, I believe we talked about that on the last show because uh, last time you were here because people are planting milkweed. Now, if we can get the city not to fine them for planting milkweed. <laughs> in, are you listening, city? Hey, hey, you folks running for mayor in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking to you about 
the environment, all you candidates out there. All right, when we come back, we're going to have Rick DeMaio. We're going to talk about hurricanes, monarchs, and other insects. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. What is sustainable seafood, and why should we care? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Sustainable seafood is seafood that is either caught or farmed in ways that consider the long-term vitality of species, the well-being of the oceans, and the communities that depend on fishing for their economy. In case you didn't know, our oceans are experiencing severe distress from environmental destruction and overfishing. The Marine Stewardship Council offers labels to make it easier to find fish that is sustainably sourced. So if you love your seafood without plastic microbeads and you want to make sure it is there for future generations, please consider sustainable seafood options. I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. Whether it's March, July, September, or December, if you're a gardener, any time of year is perfect for a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region and one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, What to Do in the Garden, and even my column on the inside back page of every issue. I make up stuff and they pay me for it. Go figure. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere. But go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com. Or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. This is butterfly traveling music. There's <laughs> a tattoo park with a narrow through the middle of a name that looks like Joe. Oh, yeah. Young girls looking at the makeup. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have in our studio right now, I'm very pleased to have uh, Doug Terran, Ph.D., chief curator at the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum, which is basically the uh, Chicago Academy of Sciences. Um, or science. Is it what? It's sciences. Sciences. Okay. And um, we are talking butterflies. We're talking monarchs. We talk dragonflies. And, you know, I I really don't want to find the dragonfly home, but if we do, I want you to find it. All right. So that you can come into the studio here and tell us about it. Uh, Peggy had one quick question uh, that some of you probably heard on Facebook uh, during the break, but go ahead and and ask it again. So a lot of the single monarchs are still hatching. I had one wild monarch out there that survived, hatched on Friday, it's gone. Um, and I can find two here, one here. You see, you see the, the stragglers. How do they find the roosts, join the party? There's no evite. How many of these actually make it into the migration? Right. And we, in, in a good year like this, you're going to have stragglers going, mm-hmm. uh, if the weather cooperates, all the way into early November. 
And the longer into autumn we get, the less their chances of actually making it all the way down to Mexico become. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still early enough. They have a pretty good chance of making it. They're going to be following the same cues, many of which are not well known, that the big crowd of monarchs a week ago were following and and will just make their way down there. Do we have any sense at all of how that works? We know that they navigate using a solar compass. Uh, And there have been a number of really cool experiments that have demonstrated how that works. But that level of knowledge doesn't tell you a lot. I I liken it to um, they're going to these same tiny roosts in Mexico every year. I liken it to I give you my car keys and say, I want you to go to this one parking lot in Zitacoro, Mexico. Here are my car keys. (laughs) South is that way. Good luck. (laughs) And there's a margarita waiting for you when you get there. <laughs> or at least a fir tree to sit in. <laughs> hey, I'm lucky when I walk out of a store if I can remember where my car is. So. You parked here. Yeah. you know, and, and I'm not the only one. There's a lot of us that just wandering around going, oh, oh what happened? Um, you know, uh, we're, we're working on getting Rick DeMaio here. But before we do, um, we found a story about – we're talking about hurricanes and um, – uh, Florence hitting the uh, east coast uh, of of the United States, and we found uh, an article. There, there isn't a whole lot about there out there, and we'll have Rick on in a second. Uh, there isn't a whole lot out there, but this particular article noted that it says um, any caterpillars that have not yet transformed through the chrysalis stage and into adult winged butterflies will escape the worst of the weather by crawling down into the denser portions of the plants they are on. That sort of makes sense. Uh, and this p- person noted that the monarch butterflies have been observed riding out hurricanes and several weather systems many times in the past. So do you have hope uh, or, or do you have any concerns at all that the hurricane is going to disrupt this migration? From what I've heard from colleagues on the East Coast, the good news about monarchs relative to this hurricane is that the migration hasn't really gotten that far south yet. Ah, so, um, okay. so that's a good thing. What I, what I can say is there is a study going on right now that's going to tell us a lot more, and that's not in the Carolinas. It's in Texas, and they're studying the after effects of Hurricane mm-hmm. Harvey on monarchs. So uh, that, I think, is going to give us a lot of really interesting information, and I'm looking forward to see seeing what the results of that are and and what what do you what are they looking at because when did harvey hit uh, I don't, i'm trying to remember uh last year if, uh, already it's a year ago sometime around this time because it was hurricane season um but yeah we can we talked about that when you were on the show in the past about what effect that would have in the 50 inches of rain and so forth um, I would imagine, do you think the, the wind or the rain is the, the bigger danger to monarch butterflies? Well, at that point, it depends on where they are uh, in, their, in their annual life cycle re- relative to what's happening. I mean, if, if, um, if the adults are actively uh, there, and particularly if they're migrating through, the wind could do a, a lot um, uh, to, to impede them. Um, Rain can do a surprising amount. One of the things, uh, particularly with immature stages, um, very rainy weather tends to increase um, uh, fungal spores and that that sort of Mm -hmm. thing, and you get lower survival rates. And we will often see really bad butterfly years here in Chicago if we've had a cold, wet spring. Hmm. Well, which we had. Which we had, and we got off to a very, very slow start to the butterfly year this year because of it. 
Well, One, see, now I got to I got to ask you about that because we had a slow start to the butterfly season, and yet everybody is saying it was a great butterfly year. Well, with the monarchs, it's easy. They got here after the weather started getting better. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, the other ones. The other ones. Um, generally, what happens is when you've got butterflies that have multiple generations in a summer, each generation gets a little bit bigger than the last one. And then the whole system resets again over the winter, which tends to be really hard mm-hmm. on, on things that overwinter. So we just had a good enough summer for things that things with multiple generations got better and better as the summer progressed. We're having fantastic numbers of black swallowtails out there right now. I've seen a lot myself. What, the, uh, and the butterfly we talked about that I took a photo of earlier in the summer that had the the white or gray or yellow stripe on it. Uh, oh, now I'm going to go find that. And, but you said it was having a sort of a resurgence as well in Illinois. But it's what we're what it boils down to is that we've had a good butterfly summer, haven't we? Yes. And, and I mean, certainly in my own yard, I would walk out every morning and they'd be everywhere. And I, and that was for about a month or a month and a half. And then it kind of dissipated. And now it's bas- basically the white cabbage butterflies yeah, and, back the, to the, cabbage months, and the yeah. bees. Yeah. Actually, we've got more than that at the moment. The Pearl Crescents are doing really well right now. There's mm-hmm. um, the, there, there's this group of fall butterflies that like this time of year. And, and a lot of them are having a, a good year this year. All right. Let's go to the phone. Uh, speaking of hurricanes, speaking of uh, what happens to insects, uh, bring in meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Rick, I imagine you're busy because you're on Weather Channel Watch 24-7 right now, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, no, actually, I don't. I don't really watch a lot of the Weather Channel during these uh, specific times. I'm, 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 I'm looking at so much other resources and information. The only time I did is um, when I was looking at, uh, I think Friday night, my friend Mike Seidel, um, who I talk to quite often, uh, was on with Brian Williams. And then on later on that night, and the next day, I get I get something from someone saying, "Oh, did you hear your friend Mike Seidel is involved in some sort of controversy where he was leaning over when it was windy and people were walking behind him upright?" And oh, they wanted me him? to comment on whether or not they think the Weather Channel, you know, over dramatizes, you know, dramatizes, you know, weather. I'm like, well, if you kind of really look at it, the people actually had the wind at their back. They seemed to be walking on, you know, stable ground. It was concrete. Mike was about 30 feet in front of them, and it seemed like it was a little bit windier at that time, and he was kind of on soft ground, and he was leaning over. I'm like, I don't think they over, you know, do the weather, but does any sort of photojournalist want to get the best shot? Yeah. I mean, if you go all the way back to World War II when radio correspondents were at the front, you know, are they, are they all of a sudden being criticized for over, you know, doing the coverage of something? I don't know, but it just it just seemed odd that that became the story of the day yesterday, and hopefully that went away. And now the real story is now, and obviously the ongoing uh, flooding that has now engulfed most of central and southern sections of North Carolina and now parts of eastern South Carolina as well. It's it's pretty much everything that everybody said the storm was going to be, uh, except the Category Four. And again, Mike and Peg, these these numbers seem to kind of get out of whack because at one point. It was a four, and at one point last Tuesday, it looked like it was going to make landfall as a four, but it would began to weaken. The forecast was saying, okay, it was going to be down to a three, and most likely it'll slow down. It'll probably be a two, but in the end, a Category 2 storm is still pretty bad. I don't think we mm-hmm. want a four, 
And when you're talking 30 inches of rain and 25-foot waves and wind gusts of over 100 miles an hour, and it didn't happen for a four- to six-hour period of time, it's gone on for two days. This is a pretty formidable storm. Nothing you can definitely go, well, it didn't turn out to be as bad as we thought. So there's still catastrophic flooding going on and more to come. Well, one of the things I heard the other day is that what folks need to remember is that uh, Sandy was a, was a was a Cat 1 storm, all right? Yeah, yeah a Cat 1 a Cat 1 windstorm. Right. And then it turned into other stuff because of, you know, the there were other conditions going on and the nor'easter kind of caught up with it and mm-hmm. suddenly you had a catastrophe. Right. Uh but um we were talking with uh, Doug Terran here about what's happening to uh, monarchs, he says the good news is probably the monarchs had not even gotten that far south yet, so they've probably not hmm. been very affected by the uh, uh, by the the winds and and the rain. Um, and what I wanted to ask him is, is, having that thing just swirl around there, Doug. Are there other insects? Do you think that uh, might be affected by the conditions right now? Uh, any any weather system of that magnitude is going to affect a lot of organisms in its path, and, and certainly the insects are no exception. Uh, I, I, I would not be at all surprised to see um, lower populations of any number of species down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, that would that be reflected this fall or something next year? How, how would we know that? A lot of things are coming to kind of the end of their yeah. seasons as the summer ends. I, th- I think we'd probably see more of it next year, although um, uh, that far south, there's still some of this season to go. But uh, I think next year is when we'll see more of that. Okay. And, and would changes in the habitat also affect next year's populations? Well, that, that depending on what the changes are, there could be very long-term effects mm-hmm. from something like that. All right. Uh, so... Yeah. You know, this is, I, I'm, I'm glad that this conversation is happening today because what I did the last three days in my classrooms um, was talk not so much about, you know, the, the, the human impact, which is obviously paramount to anything else, but really the ecosphere, the biosphere, how does this affect um, the ability for people to grow, you know, food and vegetables in their backyards uh, the following year when you have literally four to five feet maybe of mud and sand being deposited in certain areas. Case in point, Wilmington, North Carolina, over the last few days, has had about 22 to about 23 inches of rain, some areas to the north up to about 33 to 34. So far for the year, Wilmington is now up to 86 inches of rain. They just broke their all-time annual record, which goes back to the early 1850s. They still have three months more to go. And I'm looking at some of the river levels uh, particularly the Cape Fear River, which is one of the main rivers that runs from basically the northwest kind of to the southeast across the southwestern areas of North Carolina. Uh, I'll tell you it what. I'll t- we, we, to cre- Rick? We, we, we got a break right now. Let's continue that thought right after this break. Now's the time to sign up for one of McHenry County's premier sustainability events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its 11th annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 3rd, but registration for vendor and artist space is open now. This year's expo will be bigger than ever. The popular Artist Walk returns, featuring sustainable artwork, jewelry, and decorative items. And if your business offers eco-friendly holiday gifts, being a vendor is the perfect head start to the season. Last year's event attracted more than 1,100 visitors. Mike and I were there. 
And we know the Expo is a fun way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. If you're a landscaper, educator, administrator, or even a homeowner who's figured out that uh, a couple of junipers on a lawn just ain't sustainable, the 2018 Impact Conference is for you. Presented by the Illinois Landscape Contractors Association, this day-long event looks at how plant communities, soil, natural lawn care, stormwater management, and designing for habitat are long overdue parts of smart landscaping. Impact is October 16 at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Go to ilca.net slash impact dash conference. Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. I'm playing this because I know Rick will sing along. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, we have in the studio Doug Terran. Ph.D. from the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum and on the line is always a little early. We started a little early with Rick DeMaio because we wanted to get some hurricane information. Uh, and you were in the middle of describing the uh, 80 inches that have already fallen in Wilmington and what it's doing to the river. So continue, s'il vous plaît. Yeah, well, well first off, um, let's just, just go back a little bit. Anywhere between 20 and 30 inches of rain has fallen. A couple of spots over about 35 or 36 this was really, really well forecasted about four or five days advance uh, by the National Hydrological Meteorological Center, uh, where the hurricane made landfall, which was basically the Wilmington, North Carolina area. Five days in advance, the Hurricane Center, with some of its new advanced models, nailed it. And it actually had it coming in at about a Category 2, even though the storm ramped up to a Category 4, Hard to turn away. It's hard to turn your eyes away from a Cat Four moving over 85 degree water, thinking that it's going to weaken. So the storm did weaken, which is the computer model said. Again, from a wind standpoint, from a surge standpoint, from an inland flooding standpoint, this thing was a miraculous forecast. And even though you'll have people say, "Well, Category Two storm," that means the winds are about 100 miles an hour, and the storm surge is this. It's the inland flooding. That has been such a disaster, and it's going to continue to be so. So where we were before talking about flooding, uh, again, Wilmington, North Carolina, 86 inches so far for the year. And think about that. They still have another three months to go. But some of the river levels, this is why you're going to be seeing this stuff literally every day this week. I'm looking at some of the river forecast gauges, and it's showing five to six feet above record flooding and not really going down below record flooding until Thursday morning. Wow. And that's one of the problems when you have that much rain falling inland and all the rivers from a geological or I say geographical standpoint flow from the northwest to the southeast. It's now moving into some of these areas that have had all of that rain and the water just basically can't get sucked 
you know, soaked up by the ground, so it basically backs up in the river system, and you have this massive flooding. So not only is it obviously inconveniencing a tremendous amount of people, but obviously a huge stress on the ecosphere and the biosphere as well. Uh, we're going to get to Doug in a second about the butterfly that I identified earlier, and he had some interesting thing about what he calls climate change butterflies. But, Rick, I, one question I have for you, and that's been occurring to me uh, watching this, yeah. it's a deja vu. And what I'm wondering yeah, is— it's like Hurricane Harvey, point, 2.0 yes. north and east, right? And mm-hmm. so is that just bad luck, uh, or is this some sort of new norm? I mean, that you've got this these things that just sit there and spin. Is this something new, or, or is it just— Yeah, it yeah. Just... coincidence. Yeah, go ahead. Two things about this. Two things. Uh, the jet stream, once you get into late August and late September, normally is— generally right along the Canadian U.S. border. We've had some little cool spells recently. Uh, and by the way, Lake Michigan, which was 65 degrees on the 10th of September, I just swam in it this morning, is back up to 72. How about that? Wow. Now, what wow. happens is you end up yeah, you end up with these far northern pushing, what we call semi-permanent anticyclones, which is basically a big high pressure in the upper levels of the atmosphere. Similar conditions that help push Hurricane Sandy to the west really played the same role with pushing Hurricane Florence to the west. In addition, Hurricane Sandy, when it moved over the Gulf Stream, this was, August, this was October 29th, that Gulf Stream was 80 degrees, which at that point was about 6 to 7 degrees above normal. The Gulf Stream, running right along the shoreline of North Carolina and South Carolina, is 84 degrees. That's 5 to 6 degrees above normal. That's not supposed to happen. So the combination of the extremely warm water and the steering currents in the upper levels of the atmosphere are going to allow these hurricanes to develop further north, weaken, slow down, produce heavy rain, and then move westward. You hate to say it, but when you see two of these storms in a matter of six years, as well as Harvey, which is a little bit different geographically, that's much further south, but it did the same thing. So now you can almost say three storms like this in the last 12 years. Is it becoming a new norm? Yeah, the only problem is the new norm sometimes could be every five years. So for most people, they go, if it's not happening every year, what happened to the new norm? People need to realize that the new norm sometimes, from a climatological standpoint, could happen every five years. Mm. Everyday people not be, may not be aware of it, but city planners and land use manage, uh, managers need to take the storm a little bit more seriously and take out not five to six years, but now 50 to 60 years. All right, here's something else I'm going to throw into the mix, and uh, it's something that I've been following over the last few weeks, knowing that this, or the last couple of weeks, knowing that this was going to happen. Um, in 1999, Floyd, Hurricane Floyd, and you're, you're familiar mm-hmm. with this, right. hit, and it was a terrible disaster for the uh, hog industry, for the pork industry, mm-hmm. because they have all mm-hmm. these pools of toxic manure and waste, uh, and they flooded, right. and it caused problems. And there was a hue and cry right. in North Carolina, and then it died down, and then a couple of more mm-hmm. stories. And then two years ago, the hue and cry went up again, and what happens right. is uh, these 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 pits overflow, and they cause environmental disasters, and people get upset, and they get yeah. sick, and, and, you know, then they move on because— Unfortunately, the legislatures are owned by the industry, mm-hmm. 
And so nothing changes. They don't because they've got these pits, the same pits they had in 1999. A lot of them got grandfathered in, and that's part of the problem. And so now we're going to we're going to see this. That's the other. I'm going to tell people right now: look for this Mm -hmm. story in the next few days because there's going to be an environmental catastrophe with all this water pouring down into North Carolina, plus all of the chicken factory farms, chicken, pork, yeah, turkey. Uh, all of this. So this is something to look forward to. Now, real quick, before we get to uh, what's happening in Chicago, Doug, you mentioned, and this is going to be for your class, Rick. This is this is very interesting. Two things. Um, the, the, the butterfly I spotted earlier in the year was the uh, silver... Silver uh, spotted skipper. Thank you. Silver spotted skipper. <laughs> I can never remember. You know these. I don't. <laughs> I was looking for it on, on my cheat sheet and I couldn't find it. So I, I went out the other day and saw a bunch of those and a little orange butterfly. And Doug said, oh, that's a climate change butterfly. What does that mean, Doug? Well, the little orange butterfly that you saw is a fiery skipper. And that didn't used to be found uh, very seldom up here this far north. Uh, they don't winter up here at all. Uh, they winter on the Gulf Coast. And every year as the summer progresses, they kind of breed their way north over the course of the summer. Well, they're not dying back as far south as they used to in the warming climate. So or, far, or as far north. You uh, well, they, they stay further north. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so they don't have, at the beginning of spring, they don't have as far to come to get up to here. And so we're seeing them more and we're seeing them more often. And there are several species that are doing that. The um, fiery skipper is one. Another skipper called the sachem is another one. Wow. So there you go. There's something for your class you can uh, throw into the climate change mix, Rick. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely make sure that I get my students know, but I think they'd be interested. Uh, so real quickly, um, mid-80s today, mid-80s tomorrow, mid-80s on Tuesday, a little bit of a cool front slides through on Wednesday, but still staying in the upper 70s, low 80s. Same thing like we had last year in September, five days of, of, of near-record heat due to the fact that we had Irma, Maria, and Harvey. This year, it's all due to Florence. Really? Now, uh, what about the the other hurricanes that had been out there? Had they? Uh, I haven't been paying attention. Uh, do they still exist? <laughs> <laughs> well, we we just had we just had a Category Five typhoon uh, slam the northern yes. part of Luzon in the Philippines. That was a major storm. Luckily, they evacuated eighty seven thousand people, so the loss of life is obviously not going to be as much. And then that that same typhoon actually just moved through the south, the southern areas of Hong Kong. They had some of their highest storm surge ever. And if you recall, about two weeks ago, there was a typhoon that slammed into Osaka and flooded Kansai Airport, which is literally an island airport. Mm -hmm. And I think they're thinking twice about how how they should have built those seawalls around that airport. All right. Thanks, Rick. Got to appreciate it. Thank to Martha Boyd, Suzanne Plunkett, Rachel Allard, Martha and Martin Rothgeber and the whole family and Doug Terran. Until next week, go green or go home. Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.